This is ASHA Voices, I'm JD Gray. We're still learning about the effects and path to recovery for those with what's often referred to as long COVID, an often grueling after effect of COVID-19 that persists long after the initial bout of COVID is over. It's known medically as post-acute sequelae of COVID or PASC, and symptoms can include fatigue, loss of taste and smell, lingering fevers, and brain fog. The experiences of those with long COVID vary widely, and today on the podcast, we hear from an expert at the intersection of research and healthcare. Julie Sullivan, who is the first point of contact for long COVID patients at the Brigham and Women's Hospital COVID Recovery Center, joins the podcast to share what she's learning about this perplexing fallout from COVID-19. And we hear stories from people living with long COVID. They tell us the stubborn and baffling symptoms affecting their lives. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's updated tool, Culture of Competence Check-Ins. Find opportunities for reflection and growth with these one-sheet resources at on.asha.org cc. Joining me now is Julie Sullivan. Julie's an SLP and the program manager at the Brigham and Women's Hospital COVID Recovery Center. Julie, welcome to ASHA Voices. Thank you, JD. It's nice to be here. So to begin, tell us a bit about the COVID Recovery Center and the work you're doing there. The, the program must have been founded relatively recently, just in the past few years. Right. We recognized during the course of 2020, given just the depth and breadth of the virus and the toll on the community, that we would need significant aftercare options for patients. We initially planned it to be for post-acute patients, but as 2020 progressed, it became clear that we were getting a lot of patients who were reporting feeling ill even after having a mild or moderate COVID infection. And we started to use the term long COVID to describe this specific set of symptoms. And the clinic was really developed to treat those patients in addition to post-acute. Tell me a little bit more. Uh, The COVID Recovery Center is part of a large research initiative called RECOVER. Tell us a little bit about RECOVER and what you're hoping to learn. Yes, so RECOVER is funded by the National Institutes of Health, and it is a four-year initiative, and the funding is about $1.5 billion. What the NIH did was select facilities around the country and basically have tasked these facilities, there's about 20 altogether, with learning about COVID, researching it, discovering what it's doing to the body, and then developing treatments from there. Here at Brigham and Women's, we are the long COVID arm of that study, in addition to other hospitals in uh, Boston. There's a consortium of about seven hospitals that are working the long COVID arm. There's also an arm of it that addresses pediatric issues that Children's Hospital is running. There's a postmortem arm that Mass General is running. And there's a COVID in pregnancy that Brigham and Women's is also running. In addition to running a lot of studies, we're acquiring a huge biobank of blood samples of people who have had COVID, both people who have recovered and people who haven't. And what we're trying to unlock is what is unique to our immune system or our genetic makeup that dictates how your particular body responds to COVID and why. Why do some people go into respiratory failure and some people only lose their sense of smell and some people get long COVID and some people never get COVID? There's a lot of of mystery surrounding it and we're hoping we can get some answers 
Mm, I want to talk more about that, the variety of symptoms and experiences that people with COVID have and, and people with long COVID have. I spoke with a couple of people who have long COVID. We're going to hear from them later in the episode. But before we move on, I was hoping you could give us a little bit more of this broad sense of long COVID. What are the symptoms people are having? And as program manager at the COVID Recovery Center, what are you seeing and how are you assisting people? That's a great question. Uh, One thing that is interesting about long COVID symptoms is that there is variation between the COVID variants. So for example, that first strain of COVID, which we call the alpha strain or the ancestral strain, came out before we had access to vaccines. The people who develop that strain of COVID, they're generally the sickest of all of the patients with long COVID with more long lasting problems. And so those patients are experiencing profound fatigue, brain fog. Some of them have not regained their sense of smell and taste. Uh, They have dizziness. They have migraines and headaches. The next strain was a Delta strain. Those patients, similar scope. There's more people losing their sense of taste and smell with the Delta variant, which is interesting. But the same cluster of symptoms, fatigue and brain fog are the hallmarks of long COVID. But people can also experience GI issues, heart palpitations. It it really crosses body subsystems. And now we're dealing with the Omicron variant. And we're not seeing people who have lost their sense of taste and smell, which is interesting. But we are seeing a real increase in fatigue as being the hallmark of long COVID from Omicron. I spoke with a couple of people who have long COVID. One of them encouraged we highlight overall that it can take a while to see all of the specialists that are needed. Yeah, access is a real challenge. And our team of subspecialists is made up of doctors like neurologists, ear, nose, and throat doctors, gastroenterologists, cardiologists, allergy immunologists, rheumatologists, and pulmonologists. So it's a lot of different doctors and most of our patients need to see more than one subspecialist. And what we do initially is we wanted to ensure that there's no other underlying explanation for their health issues. So if they're experiencing heart palpitations and chest tightness and chest pain, we want them to have a cardiology workup to make sure that their heart is okay, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me a bit about what you're listening for when you're helping them navigate the healthcare system. We're listening for what symptom has the biggest impact on their life and to try to determine what the etiology may be. We have patients who have need to see a neurologist, but we have different types of neurologists depending on their symptoms. So some patients are experiencing severe nerve pain, weakness, peripheral neuropathy, So they would see neurologists specific to that. Others, it's more cognitive, where they're experiencing brain fog and memory loss and word retrieval difficulties. There are others who are having, in addition to their cognitive difficulties, are experiencing heightened anxiety and insomnia and depression, which are also come with long COVID, and a neuropsychiatrist would see those patients. So I'm listening for what their symptoms are, trying to get an idea of what might be the cause of it, and what kind of provider is the best for that particular case. I want to bring in the first voice of someone with long COVID. Sam Shipman is an engineer living near Boston. She's a mother, an athlete, a cyclist. Sam's first symptoms showed up in early 2020. She thought it was the flu, but then Sam started to notice some unexpected changes. 
remember going for a walk with my family. We live at the time really close to Boston. So there was like a, quite a bit of hills in our area, having a really, really tough time keeping up with them. Um, I constantly felt like I had the flu still, like I was having a lot of aches and pains. There were other symptoms too. Sam was uncharacteristically forgetful. She says she would wake up in the night with panic attacks. She calls that the worst symptom. With time and treatment, some of these symptoms resolved. And in November of that year, she received a long COVID diagnosis. But after receiving the vaccine, Sam says she believes her symptoms fully resolved for a moment. Then Sam caught COVID for a second time at the end of 2021. You may remember the very high infection rates at that time. And then come January, a couple of weeks after that sickness, I started having all my fatigue and pain issues again. And it's kind of been a spiral since then. I got COVID again in end of May, <laughs> it got even worse. And so ever since then, I've been really focused on recovery. Sam says she's starting to feel better and she's changed her lifestyle to focus on having more good days. This means she has to take herself off of her bike training regimen to support her energy throughout each day. But that's the whole idea is that you would pace throughout your day so that you're not having these super highs and super lows, but rather you're kind of managing it throughout the day. So you're never really saving up energy for one event. Sam says the first time she faced long COVID symptoms, she felt it was more of a body issue. The second time she described it more as neurological. There's one symptom in particular that we talked about for a while. You may have heard the term brain fog. Sam does not like that term. She said in her house, they often call it baloney. But Sam has a great way of putting it. She described the experience as being as if her thoughts were written in smoke. Here's Sam describing her experience working with an SLP. We started going through the testing, right? Like, where are you at really? And it was the first time that they were able to create an experience for me where I felt like we had isolated that feeling where, you know, she's asking me like to do math in my head or to recall. And she says the number three, and it's almost like, you know, in your mind, you write it in your mind, you store it in your memory castle or wherever you put it, you can, you conceptualize it and it's there. You just know it. But for me, it's almost like written in smoke. And then the minute she says another number, if I didn't remember what the smoke pattern looked like, it's completely gone. Because I thought it might open up a conversation about the role SLPs play in care for people with long COVID, I shared this story and Sam's words with Julie. Yes, SLPs have really been instrumental in caring for people post-COVID. And I think speech pathologists are in a uniquely positioned to help these patients because of our experience treating people post-stroke and post-concussion. And the symptoms can be quite similar to post-concussive or mild traumatic brain injury. As we talked about before, getting in to see a specialist can be quite a long wait. So what we do is map out a plan of care so that people can start rehabilitation right away. So we recommend speech language pathologists to treat patients and physical therapists to treat their symptoms as well across the board. And it's been helpful both from a treatment perspective and also just on a personal level, having somebody that understands them and connects with them, because that's another thing that speech pathologists do really well. And the challenge too is if you have met one person with long COVID, you've met one person from long COVID. As we know, everyone's body responds differently to the virus and people have different symptoms from COVID. And it can be really isolating for these patients because let's say everybody in the family had COVID or everybody in their friend group had COVID and they've all recovered fine. And they don't understand why, you know, their friend is so fatigued and, and can't leave the house. So it can be really isolating um, because it's so poorly understood and because it varies so greatly. 
That's true. What is it that you would want to share with SLPs listening to this episode about the experiences of people you've seen with long COVID? What I would want to share is that this is a unique population in that these were people who were previously very healthy, working, young athletes. So these are people who never expected to get sick. Not that people with traumatic brain injuries and strokes expected it. But with this as well, these are people who are generally in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, They're previously very active. And now they're dealing with symptoms that are debilitating and also very poorly understood. So it's challenging to not know what the outcome is going to be, to not know if they're going to get better, to not know, you know, when can they go back to work. They call themselves guinea pigs, and we're really understanding it in real time along with them, which is which is difficult to manage. What is kind of the latest as far as, you know, research and trends? What are we learning about long COVID that, that might be helpful to someone who has it or or just as we think about it as, as a society? Yes, yes. Um, what we're finding is that COVID is interfering with how our body processes and uses and circulates oxygenated blood at the cell level. And there's a couple of ideas as to why that happens, and it may vary among different people. One idea is that once the body is infected with COVID, you get a strong immune response, and that immune response never calms down. So your immune system is in a constant heightened state, which causes um, these symptoms. Another idea is that there may be some small fiber neuropathy and microclotting for the smallest, finest nerve fibers, and that causes blood to pool there and to not circulate through the body as readily. Another idea is that it's an autoimmune response where your own body is is trying to fight it and it's, it's activating a systemic autoimmune response. And then another idea is that it's leaving inflammation throughout the body along the cardiovascular system in joints. People also say that any vulnerability that they had prior to COVID is exacerbated by COVID. If they had, you know, knee surgery years ago and it's been fine ever since, then there will be inflammation there and their knee pain may return. And so what we're trying to figure out is why that happens. We've done some studies and there is an idea that COVID stays in the body and is stored in different parts of the body. We did an interesting study here where they detected COVID in the blood plasma of people who had long COVID. So we're expanding that study. There's also a question of whether it's retained in the cerebral spinal fluid. So we're looking closely at that. In our conversation, Julie also pointed towards research indicating COVID may be able to reactivate dormant viruses. Specifically, she mentioned Epstein-Barr as a prominent one, but says there may be a few others as well. She says research into long COVID is furthering the understanding of other conditions too. Research is shining a light on chronic fatigue syndrome, offering both validation and treatment, she says. Also, they're learning about disorders of both the nervous system and blood circulation. Julie mentions that there's, quote, a large group of people who have been suffering silently for years with some of these conditions. There's hope on the horizon for them as well, end quote. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. Plus, we hear from Elizabeth Kinney, who after contracting COVID in March of 2020, ran a fever for more than two full months. 
Support for Asha Voices comes from Asha's updated tool, Cultural Competence Check-Ins. Cultural competence, cultural humility, and cultural responsiveness require an ongoing commitment. Invest in yourself and your clients when you use these one-page resources. Designed to help you reflect and grow, find all four Cultural Competence Check-Ins at on.asha.org cc. We're going to rejoin our conversation with Julie Sullivan, but first I want to introduce you to Elizabeth Kinney. We'll be hearing from Elizabeth throughout the second half of this episode. Like Sam, who we heard from earlier, Elizabeth also has long COVID, and that led her to begin working one-on-one with an SLP. Elizabeth spoke highly of the experience with her SLP. She said together they looked at ways Elizabeth's mind was working differently than it was working before the infection. And she said the SLP gave her more agency in her relationships and in her own mind. It was the first time I felt like, oh, okay, so something in me has changed and I can find ways to be with that and to be with the way my mind is working now that still help me access what's essential about myself as opposed to thinking I'd lost what was essential about myself. I thought that was such a powerful example of what it means to provide care that isn't rooted in a deficit perspective. And I think it also links how that care can connect to a patient's identity. So I shared it with Julie. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's an important, a very important piece is kind of accepting where you're at, working within what you can do, and maintaining hope that you're going to continue to heal and get better and that we don't quite know what that's going to look like yet. You may need to continue to use modifications and strategies. But COVID is not the kind of thing you could fight your way out of, particularly with the emphasis on, you know, the fatigue that you can get. And so we do a lot of talking to patients about how to live with a chronic illness. How do you manage and do what you want to do and what you love to do and what you need to do within the framework of what your body is capable of right now. Yeah. One thing Elizabeth told me about was the importance of having community and being able to hear from other people who have long COVID. When I spoke with Elizabeth, she told me about catching COVID. She first caught COVID in March 2020. She was working as an actor and playwright in New York City. Elizabeth says her initial case of COVID seemed mild, but over time it got more severe and she developed a fever that lasted approximately 70 days. I mean, I think back on that time now and I just remember being pretty terrified, but also just really confused. And everybody in my world seemed confused. Elizabeth says that during those initial months, it felt like time had stopped. Eventually, Elizabeth found an online community where people were describing these symptoms. So I went online and started to kind of interact with some other people on the website and just reading the stories. It became so clear that like, oh, this is happening to a bunch of people. So that was the first place that I kind of found any reassurance that I was not losing my mind. (laughs) More than two years later, Elizabeth says symptoms still come and go, like fatigue or, as we referenced earlier, brain fog. She said she recently had another bout of fever. It lasted 28 days. Today, she has another community she visits with through the COVID Recovery Center at Brigham and Women's. It's a once a week Zoom session. People with long COVID share symptoms, struggles, reassure each other, and they share resources. It's like one hour a week where you don't have to explain yourself, you know, where there's no translation, where you're having to wish you could sort of have somebody else completely understand your perspective. I thought that was a great way for Elizabeth to highlight the need for community around long COVID and to have your 
symptoms shared or, or seen by others, how it can be reassuring. It's so validating to know that you're not alone and that these symptoms aren't in your head. We run a, a several support groups. We run that support group that is a discussion-based group where you can really connect with other people, share experiences, talk about treatments that you've tried, and support one another. We also have a group that does mindfulness, and that's actually led by one of our patients. And that's really helping to build community, and also it's a technique to calm the nervous system and focus, and we're finding that to be helpful with long COVID as well. We're starting an art based group um, is a way of reclaiming joy and connecting with people who understand what you're going through, but not necessarily having to talk about your symptoms all the time. And then we also have information forums where we'll have doctors from some of the different subspecialties come on, talk about what they know about COVID and basically you know, answer questions that patients have for an hour, which is wonderful. You know, you mentioned about some of the things that people with long COVID have in common. Do you know, are there any risk factors emerging that there are people that might be more at risk for long COVID? Well, yes and no. It it seems that women are more at risk than men, and that may be something to do with our immune systems and having an, an autoimmune response. There are also women who are premenopausal seem to be at increased risk, so there may be something to do with estrogen playing a role. People with underlying conditions like diabetes are more at risk. And otherwise, we're seeing people as young as 17 in our clinic and as old as people in their 90s. One thing I've always wondered about is if after the initial infection of COVID, you know, if there are any signs that someone might be developing long COVID. I remember I had COVID in December of 2021. And I remember that whole time feeling a sort of a simmering anxiety, wondering if or when the symptoms would resolve. I didn't feel I was severely ill, but this kind of mild fatigue went on for a little longer than I'd had in the past with, you know, other illnesses. And are there questions people should be asking themselves if they have an initial infection? There aren't great predictors right now. In most cases, people had a mild case. Sometimes they were asymptomatic and they were covered and they felt okay for a few weeks and sometimes up to a month. And then these symptoms, the long COVID symptoms set in. Um, In other cases, people got sick with COVID, had the fatigue and the COVID symptoms and then just never felt better. So it varies and it doesn't seem to be linked to how severe your case of COVID was or you know, how long after you've had COVID. COVID definitely, it, it does something, it burrows in our, in our immune systems and it stays there and it can flare and wax and wane. Mm. What else do you want people to know about long COVID? Well, the best way to prevent long COVID is to not get COVID. So I think we have to be as careful as possible and really take the risks seriously. That said, if you do contract COVID, don't panic. There's no guarantee that you're going to have long COVID symptoms. But know that if you do, if those symptoms are persisting and eight weeks later, you're still not feeling well, there are services out there and there are resources and there are people that understand and can help you. That's something that's changed since March 2020. I mean, that's when when I talked to Elizabeth, she was telling me there's so many unknowns. Uh, When her fever was going on for 70 days, as she said, it was a time filled with confusion. 
Right. And, and it still is, honestly, even though our understanding of it is I'm seeing it evolve literally month to month with our understanding of it. There will be cases like that, like Elizabeth, where she has a fever that won't go away and, and we don't know why. And that's hard. Is it difficult to tell people who come in to see you? Yes. Um, the, the unknowns are hard to, to live with. And, and I have patients who are afraid of, of what the long-term damage might be on these organs from having long COVID symptoms. And if you've had brain fog for six months, um, does that imply that your brain is, is hypoxic? And will there be long-term um, effects from that? And, and we just don't know. But I do reassure people that the research is fast and furious. We're developing treatments. We're developing better vaccines and, and better treatments and for acute COVID and antivirals. And so it's really going at a breakneck speed. And so there's reason to be hopeful. There's a lot of reason to be hopeful. And also, which I think is a really important point, people do get better. It may take a while, but we do see people get better. Six months seems to be a magic number where people turn the corner and one year seems to be a magic number. But we have patients who were infected at the beginning of 2020 and they're still moving forward and getting better. We know that COVID is not degenerative. It's not going to get worse. So it will stay the same or get better. Um, there's some suggestion that the vaccines may help clear viral remnants from your system. And so that's always a, a good thing as well. And then, like I said, taking advantage of the research that's in your area and contributing to the body of knowledge. I think that's been really helpful and validating for patients to feel that they're doing something to further understanding of COVID so that at least something, something good can come out of this situation that they're in, that they're contributing to the body of knowledge. Julie Sullivan, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Before we go, I want to share one more thing that Elizabeth told me during our conversation. She said one of the things that feels a bit new to her this fall is the way that many people are moving on with their lives. There are less public health mitigations, for example. And she points out that it isn't always possible for people with long COVID to make those same changes. Everybody's experience of long COVID is very different from one another, but the fact of having it living inside the world as it kind of marches forward away from COVID as a crisis when COVID is still such a crisis in your own life is really difficult. I'm including this comment in closing because I think Elizabeth's words serve as a reminder that just as COVID can affect our bodies differently, people are still experiencing this pandemic very differently too. Find more episodes about COVID-19 and CSD on our website. You'll find links to those episodes and many ASHA resources on the blog post for this episode. That's at on.asha.org slash podcast. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's cultural competence check-ins, a resource designed to help you reflect and grow. Continue increasing your cultural competence, humility, and responsiveness. Learn more at on.asha.org slash CC. I'm JD Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.